We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Reconsidering the haves and the have-not offenses. That's what we're going to talk about today on Stealing Bananas. I'm Ben Gretsch. You can find my newsletter at bengretsch.substack.com. With me, as always, is Sean Siegel. You can find all of his great work over at Rotoviz. And Sean, after our show yesterday, you and I spent like an hour talking about mobile quarterbacks. I think I wrote about over it at um, Stealing Signals this week. And sort of the landscape of a lot of different offenses. We didn't actually record that. We joked after that we, we probably should have. It would have been a good episode. We we don't always know that we're going to go for a full hour on these types of things. But there have been some interesting developments, a lot of interesting, develop, interesting developments across the NFL this year, but um, particularly something I pointed out this week or, or even last week is that it feels like a lot of these surprising offenses do have mobile quarterbacks they're using those mobile quarterbacks as weapons in the run game whether that's atlanta or chicago or new york uh the giants specifically then we're seeing a lot of the less mobile quarterbacks or the quarterbacks that have a lot of you know arm talent or or traditional pocket passing skill that that we would expect to support multiple receivers we're seeing a lot of them struggle their a dots are falling we've you know we've talked about this Think about Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers or Justin Herbert or as guys that they've had some games where they've had to throw underneath a lot and they're not supporting a bunch of receivers downfield. And then the impact of that across the NFL, unfortunately for us in fantasy, especially on these last couple of weeks where the trends have started to get really aggressive and we do think they're going to swing back some, but has been some huge gaps between a few good players at each position at, at QB. There's like a, a clear top five and then a gap of about four points per game until you get down to the QB six, which typically, you know, there is a gap between the, the really good QBs and the rest, but that's a really large gap. And then there's a ton of QBs in a huge jumble after that. We see similar at wide receiver. We see similar at tight end, certainly with Kelsey and Andrews being the two above the gap at wide receiver. Uh, if you control for the guys who have only played a couple of games and then also remove Marquise Brown, who's obviously injured right now, you have a top six that are at 19.5 or more PPR points per game. That is the main top five that includes, you know, the big three from draft season, Diggs and Andrews, uh, excuse me, Diggs and Devontae Adams, and then also Tyreek Hill, who was a second round ADP. So all of those top six were, you know, top 25 overall picks. And then you have a three point per game PPR gap from 19.5 down to 16.5. And, and Jalen Waddle comes in as the next receiver beyond that. 
So we have these gaps at all these positions. And then after those gaps, a big jumble of players. And I think a big reason for that is just that there are so many offenses that are struggling to support a lot of skill position players, either because they're struggling in real life or when they're a little bit surprisingly interesting, they're doing it through a mobile quarterback who is running or taking a lot of sacks. And those are taking plays away from skill position opportunities. And so creates not a fun fantasy landscape. (laughs) It definitely gets very tricky, very fast. This has been a unique season. And as you mentioned, as those trends start to really crystallize in some cases, appear to get pretty entrenched, then you want to figure out how to make moves off of that. And it's something that one of the sort of downstream minor effects of it has been to limit the rookie wide receivers as well. And then with the rookie wide receivers, we've also had injury issues. Chris Olave has not been exempt from that, but he is one of the guys who has come back and now putting up huge numbers outside of his performance. It's been more difficult in part because Jahan Dotson, another guy who I think actually fits into an environment now where he would be in a great situation, but he is not 100% healthy. We look at this at the beginning of the season. One of the things that we like to talk about is focusing on talent. And when you get prices that factor some of these things in, and it could flip the other direction, like for example, the Philadelphia Eagles being a fairly aggressive team within the context of still being run heavy at times, having that ability and having a mobile quarterback, maybe you get more value of an AJ Brown or a Devonte Smith than people are expecting. If you have a situation like with the 49ers where the mobile quarterback gets hurt, then you potentially can get more value out of a Brandon Ayuk, especially now if Debo Samuel really is limited. We'll see if that is or isn't the case going forward and what the impact of a Christian McCaffrey might be in terms of the scoring environment there. If they're able to become more of a juggernaut, that could actually benefit the wide receivers as well. So you benefit from some of those things early on. You benefit from the chaos when the prices are beneficial to you. But then you get to midseason and you're looking at what you need to do for your specific teams. And now, because we have so much more information, we can start to make some moves. And especially this year with everybody needing to address certain weaknesses I think it's a very fertile landscape for making some savvy moves and some moves that can help your opponent out as well. We joked in the first show this week about some of these zero RB teams where you might already have a running back in your flex position if you've hit on some of those late guys. That's very possible, but you might prefer to move back out of someone like that into a solid receiver if you have a good fit for someone else in your league. So this is... I think a key in both redraft and dynasty right now, we're seeing a lot of wild dynasty trades as the carnage at a variety of positions and, and really the flux at running back means you see running backs valued all over the place. Yeah. All over the map and and players in general, because of the sort of cluster outside the few names and, and in large part are, are names that were expected to produce well at the tops of each of these positions. I mean, the one guy who's really scoring incredibly well from a later spot uh, is Josh Jacobs, which is, you know, running back, there's still some gaps, but it's a little bit different. Obviously, running back value changes over time. There's guys that have not scored particularly well that we expect to continue to score better going forward, like a Ken Walker or a, an ETN. They're not way up there towards the top, but they could be, right, over time. Breeze Hall. 
obviously is now injured, but his points per game don't really reflect what his role had become. He was going to, you know, he was well on his way to his third straight 20 point game. But I was talking with some people this week, uh, some of my subscribers in a little Q&A, and they were, one of them mentioned this idea that it's tough to make trades right now because everyone feels like a whole. And I think that's kind of funny, you know, beyond that sort of those top scorers, you could basically make a pro or con case for a lot of players. A lot of these rookie receivers that we love looked great and now their offenses look bad. And and so what does that mean? How do we piece all that together? And so, yeah, like a lot of players look like holds in, in main events. Another anecdotal thing people have talked about all year that the waiver wire hasn't looked great in these deeper leagues. But the way that it has started to restock has been really interesting drops. We've been seeing like this week, I saw Elijah Moore on the on the waiver wire in a couple of leagues. You never really see that after seven weeks from a, you know, a young wide receiver taken in the top six or seven rounds of, of the original draft. He's become available in some leagues. I saw Allen Robinson in some leagues. We're seeing some higher end quarterbacks or going back to ADP, you know, like I know Stafford was available in, in one of my leagues and some of those guys that they've struggled. But also, I mean, Russell Wilson's available in a lot of them. I mean, not surprisingly. He not surprisingly. for in Because people need production. Tua was available in a lot of leagues when he was hurt, which, again, I mean, it's tough to give him up when you've witnessed the Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddle, double-barreled Blitzkrieg. But if you need points right away and you have limited roster spots and you're trying to stash players at those positions where you can't, get production or it's so difficult to get production when you're going to get some QBs there. And that's, that's been nice. If you have the whole Trey Lance experience kind of bearing down on part of your season, but the, the Elijah Moore thing. And like, even Alan Robinson is interesting in the context of the only other guys that are available in these 18, 20, or 20 roster spot leaks, but everyone's obviously got a kicker in defense. The only other guys are like, you're picking through, I mean, like Noah Brown at points was one of the best ads. Like there's not a lot of available options for people who are not in these deep of leagues. Some of those names, obviously for more shallow leagues, people are familiar with seeing on, on waiver wires. It's pretty shocking when there's not a lot of upside at all on the waiver wire to see a guy like Elijah Moore sitting there and people in some cases, not even bidding very much on him. It, it gets back to your point about even in dynasty, the huge valuation shifts we've seen, I mean, we're seeing them at redraft and like, what is, what does Elijah Moore's season to date mean for his, his 2022 rest of season? I mean, there's some pessimism in some places. So what does that mean for his rest of his career? I mean, same, same thing. There's a lot of uncertainty across the whole fantasy landscape. There is. And it's hard because you want to be proactive and yet not panic. And so that part of it requires you to have both the patience and the aggressiveness that we have talked about and to understand kind of where you are in the trajectory of your team, what format you're in. In our dynasty league, we just had a trade where Rashad Bateman and Traylon Burks together brought back a single first round pick and two guys who probably won't make the 16 player cut down in the off season. And so you think about how the valuations for both of those players after a week where the mobile quarterback element again was so visible and the Ravens don't throw and it's most glaring with Mark Andrews because he's been scoring a lot of points. But when you think about Bateman and what that means down the line, potentially for him, he actually looked good in this game, made a a deep catch that kept one of their drives going. He was the catalyst for the second Gus Edwards touchdown there. And yet 
look good, but from a fantasy perspective, another very unplayable type of game. Traylon Burks now kind of mired in this Tennessee offense. And one of your points in the offseason about A.J. Brown was just how few routes they had him running for the long term. So even though, I mean, it's Traylon Burks and basically nothing in Tennessee, you're wondering, can they support even him? And then, I mean, there were so many silver linings to Burks' short time actually playing with the Titans. But when you have that rough offseason, you have some people questioning his prospect profile in ways that I don't necessarily agree with, but you have some of those questions. You have him falling below some other guys, even though he's still a first round pick. You can see why, you know, Burks might already be a sell to some people. But Ben, the the big thing that we wanted to talk about today, and I thought it would be fun because it incorporates some of the really cool elements from your most recent post where you talk about this mobile QB tax, and then also gets us to really push and think about some players that we wouldn't necessarily think about guys who don't fit our style. But the last couple of weeks, we've done some fun shows that I think fairly evergreen in nature. If you want to go back and listen to them talking about the haves and have nots from an offensive perspective. Yes, that's related to 2022, but it also kind of helps you think about what does that mean? And kind of where are some of these teams going as well? Do we have hope for them by the fantasy playoffs? Do we have hope for them in 2023? And then this idea that we've talked about at length now, where the tactics that are being used on both sides of the ball in the new NFL are so interesting in terms of what it means for fantasy and what should you do. Well, then I'm going to propose to you and kind of get your feedback. Because we, when we think about so many of these guys and, and themes the same way. I think it's a great idea, which you already proposed to me. <laughs> well... I mean, if we really feel comfortable going after some of these players who are who are very bland, you'd say, I mean, it can be tough to make some trades in, especially in the cases where a few of these guys are actually performing. It may be difficult to pry them away from teams, but I mean, they may have a different mix on their roster and different goals that they're trying to accomplish. One of the things that's been a little frustrating over the last couple of weeks is that I've had, and the great thing is I've had some very balanced and win-win trades proposed to me that I immediately accepted without any sort of counter. I think it's important to accept without a counter if the person has actually gone out of their way to give you a very fair trade in the start. I've had some just sort of opening trade proposals that were accepted the other direction, a little bit surprised by, and I've had some trades where people said, I'm surprised you offered this to me, which is always interesting. And then some trades where we offered a very good package and we're met not just with a decline, but a decline in indignation. And frustration, yeah. <laughs> which which is always odd because and one of the reasons why I encourage people to not be nasty in trade responses is that all it does is really shut down further dialogue. I mean, I just don't... Yeah, there are people out there just trying to take advantage of you. And you'll even see people who will send trades on news that they're kind of hoping you don't know. But those are... That's a very small segment of the trade population most people are trying to work things out with you and the very fact that like that it's so unpredictable when you're going to get someone saying i'm surprised you offered this versus how could you possibly offer me this you're getting twice as much as i am it's like both of those offers were just sort of offers to try and get the discussion going so obviously that's not the approach the frustrating part is that the people who respond in a way that isn't very friendly it just makes you not want to engage as much I and mean, the whole thing's supposed to be fun 
right? So try to be fun. Every, everyone's going to have different different player values, and I think that's like the big thing, sort of, that you're saying is to it's just a, a general life thing, but like to try to understand other people's perspective. Like if you see an offer that you think is really ridiculous, like they're obviously seeing something in that offer that led them to send it. Maybe they're trying to kind of buy lower a little bit, uh, a little bit, but they're not trying to completely, you know, catch you sleeping or something. They obviously think that the, the trade is reasonably close or I don't think anyone has interest. Like I've seen some trade offers that are really not close and all, all, let people know that like, you know, this is pretty far away if we want to work towards something in terms of how I'm valuing these players. But in, in terms of like getting upset or, or giving the frustrated responses back, like maybe they think they're winning that trade, but they don't think they're winning it by as much as you think there's a gap between it right, from your end because, because everyone values the players differently. Right. And so, I mean, just trying to understand they, they have a different perspective than you, but Sean, you had this idea that, and have this list of wide receivers that we usually don't talk about, uh, or a lot of them are ones that we don't usually talk about. There's a few on here that we've sort of just written off for a couple of seasons now that are in offenses that don't have the mobile QB tax, don't have that lower, um, like significantly lower in some cases, amount of total plays that will be an opportunity for a skill position player to touch the ball and rather are in offenses that, do have the potential at least for a lot of pass volume. Another team, you know, that that has changed their ways. I mean, we saw it with the Jets, Flacco being a guy who's standing back there and getting rid of the ball early and throwing meant 50 or 60 targets some games. And now the last couple of weeks, the Jets have combined, I think, for like 39 or something like that, a 21 pass attempt game and an 18 pass attempt game. Just a massive shift on their team level. And that's not even necessarily because of Zach Wilson's mobility. It somewhat is. He, he certainly extends plays and is um, you know, a little bit mobile, but it's, it's been a shift in the offensive focus and all those things. Another team that I would point to is the Colts where Matt Ryan, I mean, the Colts right now are tied for the league lead in completions overall. Matt Ryan has thrown a ton of passes and a lot of short passes and they've completed a lot of, that's good for fantasy, especially PPR, a lot of completions, a lot of PPR points, right? Sam Ellinger is going to take over. They're going to run the ball more. He's going to have some design runs. They're going to do different things. That number is going to come down quite a bit. So we've seen those shifts. We're talking about players, or you have put up to put together a great list here of players that are in offenses that aren't expected to be that way with that mobile QB tax that might have some interesting names in them just by sheer volume, essentially, willingness to pass more plays that skill position players are going to touch the ball. Even some some of these teams people might argue with and say, you know, they can go run heavy at times or what have you, but there is not as many QB scrambles. Probably not as many sacks in a lot of cases because immobile quarterbacks tend to to get the ball out and not take as many sacks, which is kind of counterintuitive. But it's the mobility and the uh, the willingness to try to extend plays that often leads to the sacks. And I think it's a great it's a great application of this whole concept that we've been talking about, which is and as you said, they're, they're players that maybe don't feel as comfortable to go acquire. But if you want to do something and you're trying to improve your team, this is a subset of players that makes some sense that might be consistently productive in a landscape where there's not a lot of high-end production. And so this might be a way to, to add some strength and some depth back to your roster. Talk about how there's not a lot of depth in in, in fantasy teams and, and down to the benches. So I'm interested to hear your thoughts on how acquirable these guys are, which players you'd really like to go after. There are a variety of different sort of mini boxes <laughs> that we might put some of these guys into. Let's start with a couple of players who had a 
fun week seven. They're going to be a little bit more visible. They're in offenses that just blew up massively. They're guys who two weeks ago, you probably could have gotten almost for free. But because they've had some big plays, we're now into an environment where, I mean, maybe you can't get them at all. But I always say that sometimes the best time to go get someone is after a good game because that other manager has been looking to sell. And even if the price doesn't change a ton, it's just that ability to exhale and feel like you're not taking a massive discount or what have you to get rid of the guy. And those two players are maybe players we do kind of like, but they're not the ceiling types that we normally are trying to get onto the rosters. And they would be, I think listeners probably guessing Tyler Boyd, Juju Smith-Schuster. Now Boyd, number eight in routes on the, on the season, which I think is interesting. He's at 12.7 yards per target. Again, buoyed by the long touchdown last week, but he is not generating targets in the way that we would normally expect for a Tyler Boyd. And that's been one of the most frustrating things I think about the first month for the Cincinnati Bengals, because yes, they have these offensive line concerns. Joe Burr doesn't have a lot of time to throw, but if you have the three guys, your offense needs to be set up so that one of them can win. You watch a couple of the recent weeks and you're trying to figure out how the Bengals don't score 40 points and Joe Burrow doesn't throw for 400 yards every single game. They look that unstoppable. That 14% contrasts to 19% last year. Obviously, that's a pretty big difference. They have 43 pass plays per 60 minutes. They're definitely in that group of teams that can support a bunch of guys and maybe moving even further into it. And then he kind of contrasts with Juju Smith-Schuster, who is a 75% routes, 21% target per route, and over 10 yards per target. His profile, Ben, in terms of the first couple elements of that, isn't actually better over the last couple of weeks than it's been previously. But over the last two weeks, anybody who's watching us, he leads the entire NFL. He leads Jamar Chase, who also has over 100. But he's got a 141 yards after the catch. Juju has been one of those guys in his career, but he's very obviously not as athletic now as he was in the past. And even in these two weeks where he does have a lot of these long runs after the catch, it's very situational. The burst... I mean, I think you have to feel good for him. You have to feel optimistic that he's not completely washed like some of the guys like an A.J. Green or a Sammy Watkins. But he's not going to do that every week. How are you feeling about these two guys and their profiles within the Kansas City and Cincinnati offenses? Kansas City, we know, passes a lot in all the different different scripts. They trail only Buffalo and Cincinnati in terms of passing in a neutral script. They obviously pass as well when they're leading, which is important because the Chiefs lead a lot. These are some names who Juju, especially trendy in the beginning, Boyd, not really trendy at any point this year. Then they fall and now they're rising again. Can you buy them on the rise or are they a little bit of red flag players? We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. 
Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Listeners of this pod will have time to reflect on this a little bit, Sean, but I'm going to be dropping some live news that just happened while we were recording this that relates to one of these teams. Your Chiefs have acquired a wide receiver that plays into this discussion, Kadarius Toney for a conditional third and a sixth is going to the chiefs. So we'll have to talk about that a little bit as it relates to that. I'll start with Boyd. So do, I mean, do the chiefs feel like I, I love that trade, but I mean, they've, did they also trade for whoever the best doctor is out there? Because that seems like it's going to be pretty important. Yeah, so I'm, I'm already seeing some of the quick reactions saying, you know, we'll see if he's magically healthy. Now it certainly, I would assume that he's not as, hurt <laughs> right that there's been some stuff behind the scenes it will be interesting there's a lot of excitement as well in the initial reaction he's obviously i mean i i don't think he's an immediately easy fit for their offensive scheme but he's obviously a great player with with the ball in his hands and in space and the ways that they were using tyreek hill last year sort of in the short area and, and with yards after the catch stuff We've seen a lot of that carry over to what Tyreek Hill's doing in Miami. I mean, a couple of years ago, Tyreek Hill was this, he's going to get over the top deep threat for a 70-yard touchdown at any, any point. Just haven't seen a lot of those Tyreek Hill plays over the last couple of years as t- defenses have shifted. I don't think it would be a mistake to say that this whole cover two shell and this whole thing was started as a way to try to shut down the Chiefs, which started as, you know, we're, we're the quintessential deep passing team and then that opens up space underneath. It was, we have to take away the deep passing first and foremost. And that has, you know, obviously been a huge trend across the entire NFL now, but the ways that they used Hill last year, Tony seems like a reasonable fit for, right? Catching balls in space and stuff. But I I mean, he hasn't really shown us anything that suggests that he can be a deep threat, but, but MVS got going a little bit last week, only four targets. Highest eight out of the year. We've talked a lot about how they've been asking him to do like short intermediate stuff and he's not been as productive. And now they kind of, it seemed like last week said, well, we're just going to have you be a deep threat, which is what MVS is. <laughs> and, it, and it made more sense. He had his first hundred yard game, had his most air yards of the year, even on only four targets. His dot was over 25. And he's had some big plays wiped out with questionable penalties. And so if you feel like, his stats are borderline for acquiring. You also want to kind of keep in the back of your mind that they could be a little bit better if officials make slightly different decisions. Not not in a huge way, but just that there have been those plays out there. So if he's 
more of a pr deep threat, primary deep threat. I mean, the way that I immediately view this and re react is that Tony comes in and takes a lot of what they were trying to get MVS to do in the short and intermediate range in the five to 15 yards of, of air yard depth. That's where he, Tony was running a lot of his routes with the giants when he was you know successful and healthy at short stints so far in his career. It's also where Juju runs a lot of his routes. So it's kind of interesting. It's pretty clearly a negative for the hope that Sky Moore will, will expand. I mean, Tony most similar to probably Mecole Hardman, who, you know, as far as the individual players in the Chiefs offenses, offense, which is interesting because Hardman's coming off a three-touchdown game and, and has been used sort of creatively in a part-time role. He's not been playing a ton. And his role had started to shrink as Sky Moore started to be more involved. And it seemed like Moore's path was through the, the Hardman snaps. Now you have Tony in that mix as well. You have Tony in the Juju mix. Maybe the Chiefs are seeing some of what you just said, where the explosiveness isn't always reliable with Juju. He might not be somebody they feel is reliable. I thought it was interesting when they played on Thursday night football, he looked really bad that was like his i think that was week two that was his worst sort of game of the year he didn't really do anything it was like a, a three-day rest period was tough for him with wherever his knees are or what have you and then he looked good the next week when he had a 10-day rest period so i I'm, i was with totally with you as you were talking about the the juju sort of inconsistency i i think as we talk about juju it would be hard to acquire him and I was already going to say coming off 200 yard and, and one touchdown games. And just with the fact that the, the trade market often just looks at points and the fact that he had two in a row, you know, you feel like he's coming on now. He's the, he's the chiefs number one more so than I would expect him to be a, a consistent producer at that level for me, the rest of the way. So not a guy that I would think of as a fantasy trade candidate right now, the addition of Tony, I think really complicates things. It's uh it's pretty interesting in terms of, you know, they, they're on a buy right now. They don't play this week. They're going to have some time to try to get Tony up to speed. But there was also talk that Tony didn't even know the playbook in, in New York, right? Like that, that he was, he wasn't, there were some issues behind the scenes basically. Right. And so it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see what happens here. Yeah. Especially in terms of what the usage actually is. You mentioned there could be some overlap with Hardman. They both seem like the types of players who, probably can't do much of anything in terms of real routes. And you think about that as well for Tony, as it goes back to a little bit of a unique path through his college career, where he's a little bit of a, a late breakout. And then this big kind of disconnect between the scouts and the analytics folks in terms of where he should be drafted. Then he comes out and actually generates a ton of targets in a hurry in those games where he's healthy and plays last season but we've, as you just mentioned, seen the red flags start to reassert themselves to the point where the original team that drafted him would be willing to give up on him fairly quickly. I think that, I mean, you have to be concerned if you're a Chiefs fan that this is something of a giveaway. At the same time, the upside, I think, makes it worth it, especially when you look at Andy Reid and his ability to rehabilitate a decent number of players. Now, it doesn't mean everybody. There are guys that they have brought in and tried to take some chances with you know, like a Josh Gordon, for example, and there's originally some enthusiasm and then 
that goes away because Josh Gordon is just done. But that doesn't necessarily mean that the next guy who is a young guy, very different situation, that he won't be able to do it. Reed's ability to both get buy-in and some level of consistency from some of these players who we don't know what their story really is. They appear to maybe have more colorful personalities. We'll say his track record there, I think is encouraging. My concern would be that, yeah, there's, there's overlap with sky Moore and Juju and that you look at Hardman and his targets are all right at the line of scrimmage or some deep. If you pull up his, sort of target breakdown on the player page there, the Rotoviz player stat explorer. You can see that complete dearth of targets in that five to 14 yard area. Tony last season, despite being in a lot of ways, still something of a manufactured touch guy did have quite a few targets in that five to 14 yard area last season with the giants obviously hasn't really played this year. I guess that's a disappointment if you're still holding out some hope, at least in the short term for Sky Moore. This appears to be a deal where they're saying, I mean, dude, you can't even feel punts. So we, uh, we're concerned about your ability to get up to speed at the NFL level in a way that helps us this year. You would think that it probably also rules out a future Odell Beckham trade, or do you think the Chiefs could be that aggressive to the where they would add multiple pieces? Or, or, or signing. Odell Beckham signing, right? Yeah, yeah I, I mean, I... I guess we'd have to see the way that it develops if they have any injuries or things, but I would assume if they stay healthy, that it probably does rule that out. I mean, those, those rumors that the Beckham might land with the chiefs were an indication that the chiefs were potentially in the wide receiver market, but it seems like this is the, the answer to that, you know, to that indication they're getting or hoping to get from Tony that added wide receiver depth that they were maybe hoping to get from adding Beckham, it's going to be, I mean, I think it's probably good for Tony who doesn't, didn't seem like a good fit with the new coaching staff and new uh, management GM organization. They were already answering questions about whether they would be trading Kadarius Tony in the off season and and saying very clearly that they weren't going to be not necessarily saying that they were lying because things progress and change, but there was already unrest like really early in the offseason and the start of, of that new regime's tenure. Tony gets to go to a spot with Andy Reid that we always talk about as a, you know, a very player-friendly coach and has worked with a lot of – I mean, I just I, – I hate classifying players, but players that have been called troubled or what have you, I mean, I don't know if that's really even fair to call Tony that. I don't think he's done anything particularly wrong or, or that is fair to call him troubled or anything, but – Certainly, some you know some questionable decisions, taking swings on the on the field last year and getting ejected for a game for that, and some things like that. But Reed has been willing to take. You, you mentioned Josh Gordon. You know he's been taking a lot of players like that. He's taken on over the years to the point where the Chiefs do get some, I think, justifiable criticism for being willing to take guys, but much even like much further to the concerned side than Tony guys who have done some stuff off the field too, that has right. given them some red flags. And while I don't necessarily like that myself, I do think that the positive is that in some of these cases, they appear to have created an environment where these guys can turn their lives around, which I mean, that's important. So from that perspective, it's yeah. a big positive. Yeah. Tyree kill has a pretty checkered past. I mean, it's putting that lightly. I mean, that, that's when I'll be more firm on and say, definitely has a background and some some stuff for anyone who's unfamiliar. I think everyone probably is, but somebody they 
drafted lower than he probably would have been drafted because of that background. And then to the extent that humans can be rehabilitated and those types of things possibly, but then there was obviously more stuff during his chiefs tenure, you know, the, the phone recordings and those things from a couple of off seasons ago. And so anyway, an interesting, interesting move by the chiefs. We should probably talk about some of these other receivers as well. Do you like Tyler Boyd? He's someone yeah. we have on our dynasty team. He's going to be in the lineup as we go through the buys. He's someone who doesn't generate a lot of trade interest coming to us. And so the flip side of that, you would think, is that he is someone you can get. He's someone managers might be wanting to sell after he has the long touchdown. But again, like you mentioned, you're going to have to pay more now than a week ago. And it's going to be a little bit inconsistent. I think inconsistent in a way, so much of it depends on if you think the Bengals approach was a mirage or not. I mean, they're scoring points, they're winning games, they're getting back in the mix. This has to be the real Bengals, right? Yeah, I mean, it's been really exciting. The last couple of weeks, pass rate over expected at, above, or approaching 20 points above the expectation. I mean, it's just been a massive, I mean, two of the, the heaviest pass leans for any team relative to game situation and what you would expect the team to be passing all season. And there's a lot of teams that are going to the negative with the pass rate stuff right now, shifting more and more towards running and more conservative stuff. So to see the Bengals starting to kind of come out of their shell a little bit, it wasn't just week six and seven, weeks three and four were their next two most aggressive pass leans. Weeks one and two, they were neutral or to the run. And so four of the last five weeks, they've been at least 4.7% to the pass, which is actually like a pretty significant shift, about five percentage points above expectation they've had that four times in the last five games so definitely look like they're shifting way more pass heavy and i think boyd is the player that is impacted by that the most i mean the, then you're talking about more 11 personnel you're talking about him getting on the field as a third receiver i mean they run a lot of 11 personnel anyway but you're talking about him getting on the field as a third receiver running a lot of routes and then he has benefited you talked last week about not really understanding why they weren't throwing to boyd more because he had like six catches on six targets I think the week before and all the attention being being put on Chase and Higgins and how Boyd's a really good third receiver. You have three weapons. We've talked a lot about, you know, what the Chiefs have tried to do in, in having more depth to their weaponry when they have five eligible skill position players on a, on a given play, having five good players out there or at least three or four good players out there as opposed to, you know, the Hill Kelsey teams that basically had two. A lot of teams have gone that route. The Bills have shown, you know, a willingness to continue to add depth at the skill positions and do that. The Bengals have that. And Tyler Boyd is one of the best number three receivers in the NFL. And he looked last week like peak Tyler Boyd. I mean, he was making a lot of plays. Some of it was, you know, the early long touchdown, him getting lost a little bit. But he makes another really nice catch and goes out of bounds at the one. And I think arguably could have been ruled a touchdown. Might have been in. I mean, that you mentioned it. And obviously still the Pickens catch better. But when we talk about one-handed catches yeah. on the seasons that really in jump traffic. off you and that look like pure skill. I mean, every once in a while you get a one-handed catch where it seems like the guy himself was like, oh, I didn't even realize my hand was there. <laughs> I mean, that that was yeah. just Spider-Man. You go up That's and where snap, I was I going next. It. And all three of those plays were in the first quarter. I mean, he, he had a, an incredible first quarter last week where he had the long TD, the catch down of the one that was potentially another TD, and that one-handed catch in traffic. I mean, he looks like – he looks really good. I'm, I'm, I'm right there with you. I thought that was a – 
And one of the concerns with him, I think, would be that just, I mean, not that he is old and washed up, but that he just simply might not quite be the guy he was during those thousand yard seasons. That pretty clearly doesn't appear to be the case. And I think you could argue that the fact that they got him deep as opposed to constantly trying to use sort of your slot guy right around the line of scrimmage is something else that then unlocks those other guys. So I think there is going to be an effect here where Chase and Higgins and Boyd help each other and help Burrow. That One of the things that was part of my underdog approach wrote about on the site for the season is that if you want to play that week 17 Bills-Bengals game, one really good way to do it is to get some of these pieces a little bit less expensively and make Burrow and Boyd a big part of that. I mean, this is just one game that fits that thesis. So you're thinking to yourself, well, I mean, it'd be great if this turned out to be true. But I, I like the direction that this is going. And I think that Boyd is an acquirable player. And it's so funny because for his whole career, he's been described as a guy who doesn't have the explosive plays in his bag. And, and probably by me, I mean, by by a lot of people, go back to week three of this year, he had a 56-yard touchdown, similar type of play down the scene because you're getting so much attention to the sidelines. If they run, you know, Chase and, and Higgins on verticals on the outside, he can just go right down the seam, and he's good enough to take advantage of that. This actually started last year for people who, you know, re- will recall he had a back-to-back stretch weeks 15 and 16 at the end of last year where he caught a 56-yard touchdown against the Broncos and then a 68-yard touchdown the very next week against the Ravens. That was during, you know, the Bengals absolutely blowing up in the in the fantasy playoffs. Boyd was, you know, part of that, hitting on these deep. He now has probably more 50-yard re- touchdown receptions in his last, like, 10 or 12 games than he had in his career, I would guess, com- coming up to that point. He has about four in his last 10 or 12 games, whatever it is, to the end of – dating back to the end of last season when, you know, Chase had really taken off and Higgins was getting healthy. And now Tyler Boyd's hitting for long touchdowns. It, it, there seems to be at least a little bit of a trend there where I don't think that's just fluky at this point. Early, early on, I, I think late last year, I was probably writing in signals. It's pretty fluky. Tyler Boyd having a 56-yard touchdown is pretty fluky. But at this point, seems to be part of his profile. It does. I mean, Boyd is an elite player. And that I mean, that's one of the reasons, too, why I think that Burrow has always been undervalued and just so frustrating in these stretches the last two years where they start the season so conservatively they came out of it last year they've come out of it this year but I mean, hopefully 2023 once we get to that point obviously a long time in the future they will just light the world on fire from the get-go but i'm very enthusiastic about the Bengals. another kind of buy high guy but in a situation where people are maybe going to be a lot more skeptical about not the player maybe more confident in the player maybe more skeptical in the offense Tyler Lockett and the Seahawks have been better than people expected because Geno Smith has actually been one of the best and most accurate quarterbacks in the NFL. We'll see if the clock ever strikes midnight there. He looks good. I mean, he's not going to play at that level all the time, the whole season going forward, all of those types of things. But I think that we could already start to say that it's not a complete mirage. The Seahawks are kind of in a weird deal where They've had 15% no huddle, they're 60% pass, but they haven't run a ton of plays in part because their opponents are number two in plays per 60 minutes. You might expect that to balance out a little bit, although Seattle has been a team that has created that dynamic as sometimes in the past as well. Ben is a Seattle resident and fan. You, you know, have 
gotten to experience that part of it. But Lockett here, 25% targets per route, 8.8 yards per target. Not crazy, crazy numbers, but especially now that Metcalf is out, when there are going to be good things and bad things, do we like him better if he doesn't have the target competition? Or are we concerned that this offense could be on the verge of some trials and tribulations because, I mean, DK Metcalf, really someone who, yeah, I mean, he's not quite Calvin Johnson, probably not quite Julio Jones, but I mean, we've got a lot of sort of medium-sized elite agility receivers who are dominating the NFL right now. But that doesn't mean that a guy who brings the size athleticism package for DK Metcalf, it's like it's just no big deal or defenses don't have to account for that. I mean, you're losing a huge weapon here for the Seahawks. Absolutely. Before I go into that, I have to give you the actual Tyler Boyd set because I looked it up. Four touchdowns of 50-plus yards in his last 10 regular season games. Had one in his first 84 regular season games of his career. Kind of an interesting stat. No defenders left after you take away Jamar Chase. Yeah. The question about how DK Metcalf impacts Tyler Lockett, to me, I, I feel like it has to be a negative because – I think you start from what is how much is DK Metcalf competition to Tyler Lockett? And I, I would say the answer is like almost none because it has always been since Metcalf was drafted, a really concentrated two-man passing attack where both of them can get as many targets as they can. Like having one other really good receiver in your passing game doesn't limit your ability to get a ton of targets. We've seen plenty of games where both of these guys have 10 targets and no one else on the team has more than like three. So Lockett has plenty of room to get as much as he needs, basically, when, when Metcalf's there. There's certainly a little bit of potential increase when you talk about like first read stuff that maybe the play was drawn up for Metcalf and now it'll be more likely to be drawn up for Lockett. But the offset is, as you described, more defensive attention, obviously, when DK Metcalf is such a key thing. And, you know, I Geno Smith's been a surprising QB and some of these deep leagues where we had Trey Lance and things. I have teams with Geno Smith and I've been telling some of my co-managers, I don't really want to start Geno Smith either with Metcalf out because I do think it impacts our overall passing game a lot. When you have two guys that are the key parts and the vast majority of the targets, you got a couple tight ends that are both involved some and basically no one else. Marquise Goodwin really steps up in Metcalf's absence last week. I don't think we can expect Marquise Goodwin to play to that level every week. And I do think, it impacts the overall passing game much more than, you know, having Metcalf out of there could benefit Lockett. And also I think increases the likelihood of Seattle having these really run heavy games and, and having, you know, going back down to the sub 50 offensive play games because they're running the ball so much. You think that Ken, Ken Walker becomes more of a focal point of the offense at that point without Metcalf on the field. The Lockett and Metcalf, Metcalf target even in a higher rate, in terms of per route, those guys tied for eight and tied for 11th overall. Lockett could rise a little bit, could maybe run even a few more routes. But as you say, I mean, it, the double, triple teams, like we saw with Mark Andrews last week, I mean, that can make it tricky. To really rise much, you're talking in terms of getting more targets as a result of the absence. I mean, you'd be talking about getting up in that Tyreek Hillish, Cooper Cuppish level, which, I mean, probably that's not what happens as a result of this. And and some of those guys in terms of targets per route, Tyree Kill and Cooper Cup, a lot of that is because a lot of their targets are 
design first read looks around the line of scrimmage, right? And Lockage doesn't really have a lot of that in his profile. He's, I mean, it, it, it actually speaks to how good he's been. He's earned a ton of targets down the field as, you know, as he's getting open, as opposed to getting some cheapies around the line of scrimmage. Like Hill gets a lot of those cups, a little bit less clear in that regard, but still short area field um, where he's the clear, like, you know, one read, if you will. And he is so good at winning on his routes in those areas. It's easier, I think, to rack up the large target shares at the lower A dots, lock it, doing it at a higher A dot. Very good, but also speaks to him sort of being maxed out already in terms of what he can earn. And then when you talk about him as a trade candidate, he's been so productive. And with Metcalf out being the immediate thought in the uh, fantasy football psyche of now there's more targets available, he could be even better. It just like the price is going to be, I think. Again, too too high relative. It's interesting. I mean, I, I guess I'm going to wind up saying that on a few of these guys. Two of the names that you have on this list that I don't think the price would be incredibly high or, or prohibitive that we're not really on these guys. <clears throat> and I'm really interested in your thoughts on are Terry McLaurin and Adam Thielen. What are you thinking about those two? Yeah, so we have three by low candidates that we'll get to in a second. They are more kind of hard guys, but these two names, players were not necessarily drafting a lot. Washington leads the NFL in pass plays per 60. I think that they're set up to be pretty pass heavy going forward and, and just kind of fun, regardless of who the quarterback is there. But Heineke someone that creates a fun game. And we saw that last week. And we can see why, even though I most of us want to get the Sam Howell experience and want Washington to at least find out what they've got there so they can make a plan for next season. Heineke, a, a cool dude. We saw that last week in his touchdown pass to Terry McLaurin, how excited those two guys were after the play. He's someone who, because of the Carson Wentz situation, has had some of his peripherals knocked a little bit compared to where they were in the past. He's only 85 air yards per game. He's always been that guy where if you're looking at specifically the air yard peripherals, he jumps out as always being a a value in trades, always being a value in drafts, and yet it's been hard for him to really capitalize on those. But you certainly don't want the numbers to get worse. So when he drops down in 2022, loses 16 air yards per game, that's a little bit of a red flag for you. He's also not drawing the targets that he was before. You're hoping that maybe Carson Wentz comes in, unlocks him a little bit, but they didn't have that rapport that he has with Heineke these had with some of these other guys. So he's down to 17% targets per route after 24% last year. The yards per target are actually up there. He's got that ability to create the big play, but he needs a guy to be willing to throw it up to him and to prioritize him over, say, a Curtis Samuel. I think that the quarterback change there makes him pretty interesting. And then Thielen is someone we've kind of been fading as he gets older and he needs these bounce back elements to really justify price. But I think that as the enthusiasm for him has faded and he's now known as an older player who's sort of a touchdown play, I think there's some bounce back potential with the Vikings with obviously all of the attention that you're going to have for Justin Jefferson. You still get some of that touchdown potential. He's at 89% right routes, right? And he's still drawing targets, 20% targets per route. But at 6.6 yards per target, I mean, you're talking about a guy now who is down there really in the basement. That's a full yard from last season. 
Minnesota, again, fits our theme of teams that could support a second guy here. 65% pass tied for sixth and pass per 60 minutes. I mean, I wouldn't, wasn't necessarily expecting myself to say this, but I mean, Adam Thielen is somebody who, if you need a fourth wide receiver, I, I mean, I'm not really rooting for this, obviously, because my exposure is zero, but I could see a situation where you go out and get him and there actually is a bounce back as this Minnesota offense that has been decent. The coaching staff there, the new guys have been more successful in what they're doing. Obviously, the Vikings have that impressive record right now. They look like the clear-cut NFC North favorites. I mean, these might be guys who could score some touchdowns for you and have some of their other numbers actually improve over the second half of the season. This, I think, is intriguing because, I mean, you're not going to be able to get these guys for free, especially McLaurin, but they should be available. They should, for sure. And, I mean, they're guys that McLaurin especially looked, I mean, and as you say, he's going to be the more expensive of the two, but he looked pretty good. He looked like sort of their go-to guy in some key spots against against Green Bay. They, uh, in, in their last drive, trying to sort of run the clock out through a couple of times, went to him in one-on-one spots that he won and converted first downs and helped them close out that game against the Packers, which they won by two points. Didn't have a huge game otherwise, but it caught a long touchdown. It felt like with Heineke under center, there was a little bit more of a familiarity there, right? Obviously, Heineke has played with McLaurin before and a comfort and a willingness to, to, to really target McLaurin. I thought that was a positive for his value. I mean, when Dotson comes back and with the way that Samuel's used, with how involved Antonio Gibson has been in the passing game. I mean, he scores a touchdown this week on a play where he's split out wide. And we talked about this going back to the the preseason, or I know I wrote about it. They were doing some of that in the preseason where, I mean, pre-Brian Robinson's unfortunate incident, uh, I was saying that, you know, maybe some of the shift in Gibson's role might actually be somewhat positive because he would get some downfield targets and things relative to a lot of inefficient, you know, low value rushes up the middle that he was never really great at. We saw some of that from him this week. I, it's just still tough for him to be consistently good, but he does look like a receiver that they're going to use or a running back. They're going to use a little bit like a receiver and as a weapon. So you have some legitimate sort of target issues and in an inefficient offense, probably that is going to need some volume. You'd like to see that a little bit more concentrated. I think this is still the same guy that we had on our best main event team last year and had to bench in the fantasy playoffs. Yeah. Had to bench him because he struggled. And that was when he didn't have as much target competition, but in some ways it has helped him, right? That that there have been other weapons. His yards per target through the roof, highest they've been since he was a rookie and much higher than the last couple of years. So a yard and a half higher at least than both of the last two years where he's this high volume player. A lot of that is just that some of those targets were sort of forced targets because they didn't have a lot of other weapons. Now you're, you're seeing a lot more quality targets in terms of what he's actually seen. I, I think, yeah, I mean, I think he can be a guy that is – pretty consistently productive and the way that they're going to run their offense is probably not going to be, it's probably going to have enough volume in it. I mean, he has been almost a full, a full snap share guy. I don't have all their snap numbers right in front of me, but I have his player page pulled up and he's, he's played at least 65 snaps, which is above the league average for total plays for a team in five of the seven games. 
you know, in large part because he was playing 90% plus of the snaps. But if you're going to be out there for, you know, this last week he was out there for 70 snaps. If you're going to be out there for the, you know, the potential to be out there for 70 snaps, running a ton of routes, there's a lot more. It's what we talked about at the beginning. There's a lot more opportunity for those touches, even if it is split, as opposed to some of these mobile quarterback offenses that might only run, you know, play volumes in the in the 50, 50s or even lower. I mean, the Bears ran like 45 plays last week, I think it was, or or no, the, the Ravens did. I don't know who it was, but uh, yeah, I mean, I think McLaurin makes sense in terms of a guy that could be out there for enough plays and the offense could be interesting enough and the efficiency could 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 be good enough. I don't think he's going to be a huge hit, but like a like a league winning type hit. But if you can get him reasonably cheap, and you probably should be, should be able to. I mean, more expensive than Thielen. Thielen's the one I'm more interested in because I mean, we've kind of just been saying for a few years that he doesn't he he looks kind of dusted, doesn't look as good as he used to, and is just clinging to those touchdowns. The touchdowns haven't been there. The yards per target had cratered last year. It cratered craters even further so far this year. He has not done anything in terms of efficiency, but probably that has to rebound some when you're playing opposite Justin Jefferson. And yeah, the, probably, the thesis has been correct, and yet there could be a chance to play off of it now. Right. Probably the touchdowns can rebound. I mean, he still scored 24 touchdowns over 2020 and 2021. They've been still throwing to him a decent amount in the red zone. It's just not been working. I kind of like that call too. I mean, not somebody that I would pay a lot to acquire, but to get some solid receiver depth that you can play in the buys and has the potential for, you know, six catches for, for seven yards and a TD and to get close to 20 points that way. There's no reason he doesn't have that. Right. I think so. I watching those games too. I mean, you go through long stretches where he's not that involved, but I, just think there's going to have to be a little bit of an adjustment for the Vikings as teams you know, just make such Herculean efforts really to take Jefferson away. And when he's out there all the time, you mentioned how much Terry McLaurin is playing. I mean, these two guys, both above 87% routes, according to Sports Info Solutions, you can get that in the cool stealing signals tool that is on the site, obviously named after Ben's fantastic newsletter. The guy, other guy you just mentioned there in terms of Terry McLaurin and how often he's on the field, 262 routes by their charting. That is seventh overall. So someone who definitely has a chance if he can start to draw a few more targets and make a few of those big plays. Two of the guys actually ahead of him in terms of total routes are other players who are on this list, guys that we have been a little bit more enthusiastic about, but guys who actually I think are, are huge buy low options, even though the specter of continued inefficiency basically is there. And those two guys, Deontay Johnson and Cortland Sutton, Johnson, someone we really liked. I mean, his numbers this year, Ben are almost impossible, right? And he's at 96% routes, 25% targets per route. But when you look at his last season, and you have Ben Roethlisberger, and Ben Roethlisberger, every time I go and look it up, it's astonishing to me just how bad Ben Roethlisberger was to the point where you feel like you could play any quarterback and it would be better. It's just almost impossible to put an NFL quarterback out there and have it not be. And yet, Mitchell Trubisky was that for them. There's now the situation where Kenny Pickett has apparently a very good rapport with Pickens 
and Fryermuth. I mean, but the rapport because both of those guys are good. So then the question is, can this entire offense bounce back? But I'm seeing five yards per target for Deontay Johnson. That's down from last year's 6.8. I mean, can he and Cortland Sutton be as bad as they've been so far? Johnson can't. I mean, I'm seeing a lot of stuff that's saying they're kind of like going away from him, or I've seen that implication. Guy had 10 targets last week, had 13 a couple of weeks ago against Buffalo. Like if you want to sideline a guy, that's not the way to do it. Right. Double-digit targets in five of seven games. He did only have seven against Tampa a couple weeks ago, and he had one game against the Jets when he only had four. Those are a little bit surprising to see, but like, it's not that they're going away from him. It's that he's been insanely inefficient. We talked about it early on. You referenced the yards per target. It was low through three weeks when he had 33 targets, but a sub six yards per target. And you expected it to rebound since then, Sean, in all four games, his yards per target has not even hit five. He has 4.15 yards per target over the last four weeks. That is not possible. And it, it does speak to him being not playing well and, and being part of the problem, certainly. But they've also had some really tough matchups. They have another one this week at Philadelphia. No guarantee it will get better. You've talked to me as we've talked about Pickens about Pittsburgh having a tough upcoming schedule in these next few weeks. I think it's like four or five weeks. But then Pickett does actually have the best quarterback schedule from the road of his strength of schedule streaming app from weeks 13 to 17. So basically the stretch run, the fantasy playoffs, Pittsburgh's offense could be a little bit more interesting for pass volume. I still strongly believe in this landscape that Pittsburgh is a team. Look, uh, Najee Harris looked a lot better last week. I think he looked as, as fresh and as healthy as he's looked all season. But I still think this is a team that is running the type of offense that is a positive for fantasy in the sense that Number one, they're not super run heavy. Number two, they actually don't run the ball very effectively. It's good for Najee, I think, that Pickett is back there, and I think he could actually have some decent value going forward. Not a lot because, I mean, let's be real. But sort of some of his struggles, even if he gets a little bit better, put you in those past situations, right? They lean back. We talked on the last show about how – or maybe after the show, I'm not sure. But it, it, these run offenses – you have to run effectively to make that work. This team does not run effectively consistently enough to keep them from passing it with a lot of volume. And as far as how we're analyzing things for fantasy, that's good for fantasy, right? That means they're going to have to throw with intent more than maybe they would prefer to if they could run more effectively. And like a lot of these other offenses are, are opting that lack of a run game has been something I've emphasized since the beginning with, with talking about Kenny Pickett being an interesting Quarterback pickup, he has not been particularly good. It's still good for their passing game. It's still good for the volume. It's still good in, in, in the 2022 landscape. So Johnson, to me, a pretty clear buy low. You, you're, you're buying an efficiency rebound. Sometimes that's sketchy because sometimes players just aren't good anymore or what have you. At the same time, like I don't think this is a player who's going to get benched anytime soon or anything like that. He's a clear key part of their overall offensive team. They've been playing through some tough matchups, and things will get better from a team perspective. And yeah, like, like I said, you want pieces of this passing. I think in the same way you have Deontay Johnson here as a buy low, you can make the case that that Pickens or Fryermuth are potentially buy highs or buy whatever, buy middles. I mean, they're, they're, this is a team that I think we want to be actually attacking. Yeah. 
Ben, we're going to have to let you go because you're about to do a live stream, which I'm sure people can then check out on YouTube after the fact. You're going to be drafting a Battle Royale team live. People check that out. But I did want to run a couple names by you really quickly. Sutton, 95% route. He's out there all the time. His yards per target is actually the same as last year. His dot has come down a little bit, which I think is actually good. Makes it possible to complete some of these passes, especially as Russell Wilson struggles. He's 12th in weighted opportunity among players with at least 200 routes. So, I mean, you've got a profile there to where if the offense isn't tragically bad, then he becomes someone who's playable. It may still be a case where Jerry Judy is a lot easier to acquire. And Judy has... I mean, there have been so many weird things with his games this season, but he's getting open. He's someone who I would expect them to score similarly. If he's still cheaper, go get him. Chris Godwin, another guy that we drafted on some teams, he is doing all kinds of crazy things in terms of drawing targets. But the A dot, super low, the yards per target as a response to that and the fact that Tom Brady has been throwing so many terrible passes in the ground. Not particularly good. But this is a Tampa Bay team that still has Tom Brady. They're tied for first in pass run split. They're tied for second in passes per 60 minutes. All of those things based on how they play, we would expect to continue. Right. Very similar to everything I just said about Pittsburgh. And I really like the Godwin call if you can get him. I was previously very high on sort of what his ceiling could be the rest of the year. I think that's taken a little bit of a hit with Tampa's overall struggles. I mean, the fact that they're only one or able to put up three points in Carolina speaks to a different type of Tampa offense right now than, than we've seen. But that also is not going to be the norm, right? They're going to rebound, and they're going to continue. And, and you, again, in this landscape, want to bet on offenses that have the potential to be very successful. This is one that looks really bad right now, but we know from a pass volume and, and all of those things we're talking about, skill, position, opportunity, available type of offense, there's going to be plenty here in Tampa. If they do get better at all, it's then a very good offense to have pieces of. Again, not not entirely sure about the same level of ceiling that I was excited about before, but still think Godwin is a really, really good buy in terms of consistent production, just be, being in an offense we want to target. It's a bet that I would want to make just you know in this landscape. Sutton a little bit more tricky because their offense – I mean, their offense is just bad. Like Nathaniel Hackett has just designed a bad offense. Brett Rippon comes in there, does some good things, throws some stuff on time to Judy over the middle, to some of those guys. Dulcich has a good game, or at least, you know, decent number of catches and things. And yet their offense was just like really unproductive. He's, you know, just chucking some deep balls up into coverage, no completions downfield, even though they ended up having a massive number of air yards this past week. But, it, you know, it's kind of of those prayer yards variety. I don't think Rippon completed a pass more than 20 yards, even though I think they led the league in air yards. So it's all of this unrealized air yards. There's nothing actually being completed. I, Wilson has been, and people pointed this out, not horrible on the deep passing efficiency. He's probably actually better for guys like Sutton in that regard. Rippon probably better for the Judys and the underneath guys. But I, I, this offense wasn't great last year, in part because of the quarterback play. It's not great this year in part because of the quarterback play, but at a certain point with a lot of different quarterbacks playing and these guys not hitting, I think we do have to question either the offense or the the receivers, the players that are there. I mean, is are Sutton and Judy as good as we thought they were? It's not it's not one that's that stands out to me as like a clear by low. I, I do think if you can get Sutton cheap, but I, I I guess because I assume that Sutton and Judy are big enough names that they wouldn't come that cheap. 
it is going to depend on price. Sutton was Sutton was overpriced, even if you assume that Wilson is going to be a more competent passer. You, you need to get a big, big discount off of his original price. I think that what we saw from Judy last week undermines a little bit the idea that the receivers are completely destroying the offense. I mean, they're two different guys. And I think there are reasons to bet on Judy, even though Sutton was getting the, you know, the drumbeat from the reporters in camp. Then just a final little note on Godwin down from 8.8 to 6.8 yards per target this year. I mean, that's putting him in that sort of Ben Roethlisberger to Deontay Johnson efficiency level. We expect him to be more explosive. I think that when you look at his offseason, you would say, okay, well, this is probably on him. But if you watch these games, it feels almost completely on Tom Brady and the overall things that offenses are having to deal with. But on one of the few balls he got down the field last week, he made this amazing diving effort at that reminded you that prior to Tom Brady, Chris Godwin was a vertical receiver, at least at times. He doesn't come up with that ball, but the ball was there. There's going to be some bounce back. I mean, again, because of the name and because people are going to assume he's getting healthier, I mean, you're not going to get these guys for free. But within this group, you've got to explore offers. Maybe not – if you just pick one name, you go to that person in your league, they say we're not interested in selling. I mean, that kind of plan won't work. But if you have interest in a variety of names or other names that you find from Ben's research, my articles, the tools on the site – Go after some of these guys, make some additions to your team. I was going to add with Godwin, still a small sample uh, because he's been banked up and he's been playing hurt, but you just mentioned that. but And that might play into his price. But I would expect as he gets healthier that it actually is, you know, I mean, we haven't seen a ton yet. He's had a couple of decent games, a couple of more efficient games. And, and then like last week he had 13 targets and 43 yards, but the whole team sucked. That's his highest targeted game. That's having a pretty big impact on his overall yards per target. Pretty easy to sell a 3.3 yards per target on a 13 target game for Chris Godwin uh, as not being you know particularly predictive. So I'm right there with you. Well, Ben, this was a fun one. Hopefully we did talk about a few guys. We got an Adam Thielen mentioned today, so I feel like this was a good show. I'm Sean Siegel. With me, as always, is Ben Gretsch. You can follow at Yards Per Gretsch. Make sure you sign up for Stealing Signals, Stealing Lines. Join us at Rotoviz with the coupon code RVRADIO2022. 10% discount on your one-year subscription. We're at a little bit of a, an odd tempo this week, or just slightly different. You get these shows when they come out. If you subscribe to the feed, that helps us out. We appreciate that. Leave us a rating and review. It helps us with the algorithm. We'll be back chatting with you tomorrow. See if we have a, a fun Thursday night game. Until then, good luck.